Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And I'm excited because I'm with a new friend, um, but then also an education professor, um, someone who's been a school leader, um, and, and someone I've had some incredible conversations with in a very short period of time of knowing him. And it's Dennis Eastman. Dennis, um, I don't get into big, deep introductions and you know, bibliographies and biographies. But one of the things I've learned quickly about you is, is that you have a love for our profession, a love for teachers, and a love for students. And in our conversation a couple months ago, we kind of came up with this idea of how students in particular, and, and maybe even some of those examples of students that make us more human. We oftentimes talk about teachers, we talk about these people that have had an impact on us, but they're adults or leaders, but we don't ever share those stories of when we've had encounters with students that bring out more humanity in us rather than us even bringing out more humanity in them. And so that was, in a lot of ways, the impetus to this podcast conversation. So I'm gonna let you roll with it, Dennis. Like give, give, give us some ideas of what you're thinking, what you're wondering, but even what you've experienced in this way of becoming more human as an educator and being impacted by those that you're leading, guiding and serving. Well, let me begin by saying what a privilege and pleasure it is to even be having this conversation. It's really exciting. And um, I love the topic. It has so much possibility. And, you know, I think that this, this idea surrounding becoming human, think about what it is we do as educators for a moment. I mean, we're trying to create this finished, polished product called an educated student. But in the process, you can lose the humanity in the middle of creating this um, polished product. And um, I, like, like yourself, like other educators out there, I don't claim to have the, the market cornered. I just recognize that if you look at the research and what it says about um, teacher relationships with students is a huge factor um, that creates a catalyst for change growth in, in their own lives, including, I mean, we're just now coming out of a pandemic and folks are trying to figure out what's next. And folks were trying to figure out when they're in it, how do I do this? And the word that continued to come up in the, in the literature, as well as anecdotal conversations was always relationship. It was always relationship. And I started thinking about, okay, how is it that we become human? What is it that we as humans desire? <clears throat> Excuse me. What is it that we desire? And, and I'm borrowing now, This by no means is this mine. I'll borrow from Dr. Luke from the Gospels. In Luke 19, we see a picture of Jesus walking along the road, and he looks up into a tree, and he sees Zacchaeus. We all know the story, we all know the song. Well, you know what transpires next is something that's, that's phenomenal in the life of a man who's despised. He's a tax collector. He's an outcast. He is, by his own culture, 
canceled. I mean, they were doing cancel culture way back. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, whether you were uh, a, of the religious group or the secular group, you knew how to do it. And he's canceled. Jesus looks up in this tree and calls his name and says, I'm going to your house. And I borrow from that, <clears throat> excuse me, I borrow from that because Jesus th shows us three principles for relationships that we can use in our classroom, in our family room, in our boardroom, in our churches. And that's um, the principles of being seen, known, and wanted. Not only did he see Zacchaeus, he recognizes him. It's not a glance. It's not a casual group glance up. He, he's, and he calls him by name. So he's moving from mystery to ministry. He's moving in on this guy. Hey, I see you. I know you. I'm calling you by name. And I want you. I'm coming to your house. And what I mean by known is being understood, having a voice, being listened to versus being ignored and being wanted. What we mean by that is belonging, esteem, and express va expressed value versus, um, <clears throat> versus rebellion, um, rejection, canceled, isolated, exiled. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I, I'm back with you. So when I talk about seen, known, and wanted, we have to start thinking, what is it we're doing as Christians? As specifically as Christian educators, what am I doing to help students to be seen, known, and wanted? And, you know, Eric, it, for me, it began when I was 13 years old, I became a Christian. And I, before I became a Christian, was a grease fire. I mean, of trouble and problems. My parents didn't know what to do with me. My teachers didn't know what to do with me. And only Jesus knew what to do with me. And I really felt like that's my, that was my only hope. And I really felt it and I experienced it powerfully. But then um, I do what, what many did. You know, what, remember when you first saved? Remember that? It was like, you're running down the street telling everybody, you're standing on the roof and your parents are looking at you going, has he joined a call? Um, I mean, they think you're crazy. But you want to share this with everyone. And I'm sharing with everybody I know. And then I'm being told, oh, hey, man, let's tone it down a bit. Um, Christians are famous for friendly fire. We're really good at that. Hey, let's put out that guy's fire quick because he's kind of embarrassing. And so, and I was, I was totally embarrassing. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> it was like, hey, we're standing in line at grocery store. Hey, you know, I see you just bought that. Uh, I see you just bought that frozen product. Did you know that Jesus bought you from your sin? I mean, it was just like, <laughs> man, I'm telling everybody. And then um, I learned something in church and uh, I learned how to be homogenized. And that's Christian homogenization. And that's, we stay with our own, for our own, to our own. And 
I stopped being salt and light and I was in the shaker, you know, I'm just in, I'm stuck in the shaker. And what I didn't know was in the process, it was also moving me to a place where um, much like the Greek and Roman world, if you were outside the Greek or Roman world, you're considered a barbarian. Well, I saw others instead of humans needing the same Jesus I have, and they need love, and they need to be seen, known, and wanted. I started looking at folks as problems to be solved and stuff to be done. And it really, um, it really stunted my growth as a Christian and my outreach as a minister of the gospel. And um, that, that transpired from age 13 until, no kidding, um, till about the time I was 39 years old. I was kind of stuck. I became a principal in an inner city school in Santa Ana. And that's where the scales fell from my eyes. And I started having real conversations with real kids who had real situ, I mean, real pain. Um, had one student, um, I'll call him Javier. What, um, what an amazing story. He, uh, he was a boy, he was a real, uh, an amazing story, but it, it kind of culminated one day. He was late to every single period after lunch. Very consistent. He was consistently late. If there was consistency, there it was, consistently late. And he's always ended up in my office. Well, I found, I found out why in such a stark and um, really amazing way. It, I was working lunch duty. You know, when you're the head of school, sometimes you're the head of school and you're also the, you know, you, you serve lunch and you're the custodial service and your maintenance. And that's what I was doing. I mean, I was doing all of it. So your, your tie doubles as a sweatband. You're just hustling, man. And so I was at lunch and I was cleaning up and I noticed he was hanging back and uh, he was taking stuff out of the trash. And, or he, he was still eating. And I said, Hey, you, you know, bell rang, you're supposed to be in class. And through a, a, just a short conversation, he was pretty ashamed, but he, and I didn't know why, but um, he wasn't eating. He hadn't eaten since lunch the day before. And I said, what's, what's going on? And he said, well, um, my mom never filled out the paperwork for, you know, cause she, she's not around. And when she is, you know, she works two jobs, sometimes three, and this is in the height of the recession. So she's hustling, working three jobs. I don't see her. And when I come home from school, I'll leave something on the, you know, on the counter and she's not going to sign it and I'm not going to bother her with it. So I just, you know, I just fend for myself. And Eric, that just, man, that broke my heart. And I said to him that day, hey, um, 
that's not going to be you anymore. You get in lunch line. Yeah, but, and I just said, get in the lunch line. And I gave him some money and there happened to be a restaurant right across the street. And I said, hey, I'm going to give you a hall pass and you're going to go across the street. You're going to get lunch. Put this food in the trash, go across the street. And you, you know, we're not doing that anymore. Well, that's when I started seeing my, my students as real, you know, real. Not just a problem to be solved, but like somebody with real issues. And that, that went on for three years where we just, I saw things that I was going, I, I saw one of my students, um, she got out of six weeks of rehab. She's 15 years old. She six weeks of rehab of hard drugs. She gets out and gets home and her, her family and extended family have a party for her to celebrate her getting home. And they ask her if she wants, you know, and they offer her drugs when she gets home to celebrate. Hey, as part of the celebration, we've got drugs and alcohol here for you. And I was just going, come on. We're just in this cycle, you know, and that and and I was and I said to my wife, I'm wondering if we can adopt a student. (laughs) I mean, this was like and she was looking at me going, is this the same guy? I mean, I used to have all kinds of maxims about pulling ourselves up, but, you know, those who those who help themselves, you know, those who who thrive best or those who are helping themselves and hey let's get after it and you're not looking around for ways you know and I had all that but I wasn't I wasn't looking at the kids who they weren't getting they didn't need a second chance they need a first chance and they they weren't getting that and I was in my homogenized Christian world doing homogenized Christian everything and I missed it and no kidding I think Jesus says I came to set you free and I was free, but it's almost like I was hoarding my freedom. <laughs> Instead of serving, I was, I was being served. And so it, you almost feel like a light bulb at Lamps Plus. You know, I'm, I'm talking to Christianity, to Christians, for Christians, by Christians, but not, not doing something that mattered. Well, and then when, can I just... ask this question a little bit because there's that transition like you know you you have some of these experiences in in your professional life at what point in time did you did you come to the realization or was it you know was it like a stark realization or was it a realization over time that you know what that this work that I get to do is not I'm not doing it to people right that problem to be solved you know I'm not doing it to people but I'm doing it with them yeah that's such, what a great point. Um, I think it comes over time. Sometimes, I mean, that was a, what a wake up call when I was standing in that school and, and I was starting to learn their stories and I was starting to see the pain on the faces of the kids from the stuff that they had to deal with in their neighborhood. And I wanted our school to become this oasis the school that I was serving was in the middle of, of the city where it was surrounded by three different gangs, you know? And you've got three different 
uh, entry and exit points for these gangs. And you start saying to yourself, um, how do I keep these kids safe? And also um, minister in a manner that's, that's very real. So we're going to have to rethink the way we do what we do. And that's a process. I mean, the first day of school, I ask, uh, there's, a, there's a drunk guy on, a, on, the, on the steps going up to the, the classrooms. And now I'm asking him, hey, I need you to move it along. And he spent the night there. And, you know, and other assorted things are, are taking place and, and whatnot. And you're trying to keep your kids safe. You want this to be an oasis. And it's in that place that I realized that I'm serving people with, with real issues that do desire to get an education, but they also desire to serve their community and they want, they have hopes and dreams, not just that stuff that they're supposed to do, but that they want to own and go do and, and have opportunities. And it's in that, that you go, okay, I've got to change my mindset. There has to be a shift. If you don't move from a place of mystery to ministry, you'll continue to see students uh, as a head scratching problem to solve. I'll give you an example. We had, um, so we had detention and detention of course was, we made it a study hall after school. I did not know what I didn't know. I came from a, a pretty polished Christian school setting. And I was, um, so I, most kids didn't want detention. My kids didn't mind it. And I was thinking to myself, man, not since I was in junior high, when I set the school record, like the history of the school record for detentions in one year. Um, it was, I, I averaged a detention um, over a detention a week. Um, it was really sad. Um, so <laughs> check this out. I walked down to the, the study hall area and there's 23 kids in detention. My school only has 108 kids in it at the time. <laughs> it was going, <laughs> I was, I was 25% of our population <laughs> in, you know, in this, in this, uh, setting. And and I started asking questions and a really, really sharp teacher said, Dennis, let me tell you what's going on. This student, parents work all night. They are, they're the caregiver of their younger siblings. Their house has a TV or a radio or whatever going on till 11 o'clock at night. There's no bedtime in force but they're still in charge of the kids. They don't have time to do their homework. So they do it in detention where there's a tutor to help them. And I started going, we're rewarding kids. This is a reward. It's not a deterrent, it's a reward. And so we changed our, you know, we had to change our policy and start thinking there's gotta be another way we can reach kids. And also recognize that when they go home, they have a very real situation at home. It doesn't stop just because they're sitting in your classroom. And Eric, this was a big 
fat smack in my face when I was doing, um, I was doing my doctoral work at the time and I was doing some reading um, on resilience. And I was reading about how the very students I was serving reserved their greatest levels of resilience for home instead of school. So school was not about thriving. School um, was not about moving the needle on their performance. They were too tired for that. Their resilience was reserved for home where it was about survival. Not all the situations were that way, but many. Uh, and, and our school was actually set up for that situation. But um, yeah, so to your point, it, it really required me seeing, it began with seeing and recognizing my students were here by choice, but I was going to have to come at, um, I was gonna have to come at them in an entirely different, with an entirely different uh, formula. So, so let me ask the last question. For, for, for this, for today, because you get into so many different things, right? You know, it's just personal, even that I, the idea of mystery to ministry, but then also some of the systemic or systematic things that we create, whether it be in our, our, our religious communities or Christian communities, but then also within our schools, right? You know, it's all of these systems that we create that, you know, disincentivize or even incentivize the wrong things would be just because we don't know what's going on. But as a professor of education, like how does some of what you've, what you've learned and gathered impact how you prepare teachers? Well, I started asking the question, what does it mean um, regarding seen, known and wanted? What does that look like? What does that sound like? What does that act like? And if it doesn't look, sound, and act like Jesus, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> because what did he do? He moved in. What did he do? He asked questions. What did he do? He got involved. That's how mystery moves to ministry. And it's not about, it's about human. And he, I mean, look at Mark chapter five. Eric, the welcoming committee down by the sea was the man of the tombs who runs down, covered, he's naked in chains and cuts all over his body. But Jesus, the first thing he says to the guy is, hey, what's your name? That guy's not been asked his name. Who, are you kidding me? Well, one of my mentors said to me in teacher school, we can't truly minister to kids until we know their name. That's, the, that's step one. That's foundational. And Jesus, wow, and finds out, yeah, legion for we're many. I have many problems. And he moves in. This guy hasn't been treated like a human in who knows how long. And so really to answer your question, seen, known, and wanted has to, we have to reevaluate what that, what that looks like, acts, acts like, and sounds like to kids. And it has to look like open hands instead of crossed arms and, and shaken head. I'm not talking about, um, because there's other pieces to this, you know, the relational piece is a foundation. And I know 
we can talk about uh, more later, but the relationship leads to the relevance and the rigor. But if you don't have that first step, we don't have, we don't even have a, we don't even have a conversation. Dennis, this is so good. And, and we're going to pick up because this is going to be a series. We're going to meet with some friends and we're going to meet with some others. And then you and I are going to do some more of this conversation along the way because it, it, there's so much here and so much depth. And I think it is, is, is as we look at even education and some of the, the challenges that we face as professionals, um, there, there is a, a, so much of the well-being of our students, well-being of our peers and our colleagues. It, it, is about, it is about the relationship of being known and being understood. Um, and so, you know, in these conversations of becoming more human, we're just going to delve into that a little bit more. So, Dennis, thanks for your time today. Absolutely. What a pleasure. Thank you.